When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning from San Diego, good afternoon if it's afternoon where you're listening, welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast with myself Tyrone Marshall, <coughs> excuse me, joined by Samuel Luckhurst, uh, the croakiness of voice in the voice a sign of the uh, tiredness from another day of travelling yesterday, we have left New York and travelled west and landed in, in San Diego, uh, gained three extra uh, arguably unwanted hours in the day yesterday, so uh, all of it all over the place at the moment. We're recording this at 8am on our first full day in, in San Diego when we landed yesterday, so everything uh, a bit all over the place in, in terms of travel. But Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, very well, thank you. Fortunately, I avoided an afternoon nap yesterday, uh, so my body clock isn't too bad. I, uh, I had a, a pretty good night's sleep. Although the, the, you slept through it, but there was a power cut in our hotel, mm. and then I heard some, some footsteps outside my door, and I started uh, having, having dreadful <coughs> thoughts. But no, everything's, the power's working, and... Uh, San Diego looks looks lovely where we are anyway by the um, by the sea harbour. It so does, yeah. It's come somewhere new. Absolutely, and it's a very um, traditional American motel, isn't it? It is the type of place you can imagine being uh, being used for filming someone uh, coming into your room and murdering you. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the outside of it, we 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 ribbed Simon Peach about this because he he recommended it, and um, I think when myself you and, and Paul Hurst turned up I was ambitions of the Bates Motel and 12 rooms 12 vacancies and mother being upstairs in the house overlooking us but no fortunately so far so good yes it's uh, it's all been good and like I said we've, we've moved on because United have left New York or New Jersey more um, more aptly they were based in, in New Jersey but obviously New York sounds uh, a lot more attractive finished that element of the tour with the game against Arsenal at the MetLife on Saturday night an incredible stadium. Um, first time I've been there, I thought it was an absolutely amazing yeah. stadium. Right. So so beautiful in its construction. Inside just looked looked like it went on forever. Um, fantastic place for a game of football. Eighty two thousand two hundred people there, and on the pitch, a very good performance from United. Another win, three wins in pre season now, three clean sheets. Don't want to get too carried away with with pre season and, and how, how results go, but it was a pretty decent performance from United. First half especially. These, these, it feels like these preseason games always follow the same pattern where the first half is okay and then once all the changes game, it feel, changes come, it feels like you lose the structure and lose the narrative and it was a bit patchy in the second half. But first half, a, a pretty decent performance from United and, and Ten Hag probably happy with what he saw. Yeah, it was very watchable. I mean, he, he, he was happy, although he didn't look happy at, at half-time because he was remonstrating with the, the, the fourth official and we... We chatted him informally afterwards for, for a little bit, and he, he said he had to explain to the referee where he was he was going wrong. He thought there were a few dubious calls, but uh, it was a good contest, and that was the main thing. Arsenal put out a strong side. United were probably three players away from what you consider to be their their strongest available eleven. You might throw um, Rashford, Casemiro, maybe another in there, um, but given the way the game panned out, the opportunities. It, I, I thought Aaron Ramsdale was, was culpable for both goals really mm. in, in different ways 
but James Sancho's goal, the way he took it, I mean, he's he's starting to gradually build some momentum, some rhythm in this this uh, false nine role, which he's having to play in just because Ten Hag's hand has been forced. He doesn't have a striker available to him uh, to at hand at the moment. Marshall, they think, is going to come back into team training in the coming days, but. I think most of us out here would be surprised if he plays just because of how cautious United have been with his his comebacks from previous injuries. So with Sancho's goal, the first touch was excellent. The second touch, it gave Gabriel a bit of a chance. I thought, oh, maybe he's going to get closed down here, but then he just rifled it. He couldn't have hit it any better. Right. So he asked the question of the keeper. The keeper couldn't answer it. Uh, Tom Heaton, yeah, I know he's not exactly going to be a main takeaway as a... 37-year-old uh, number two at best for the forthcoming season, but he was good with his hands, he was good with his feet, and that was probably, well, it was the top line, it was the intro in my paragraph that they've, they've signed a new goalkeeper, but they're even without him, they're trying to play the way he plays, and yeah. it's, it's almost as if the days now of problematic distribution from the penalty area, that they are likely over now for United, irrespective of who the goalkeeper is. I mean, even last season when Martin Dubravka was in goal, he was clearly very, very uncomfortable with the ball at his feet on his couple of appearances. I think it was for United. It was a, it was a strange signing and uh, one that ended, uh, ended short for probably the better. Uh, and of course, it'd be remiss not to mention Kobe Mainu, uh, I think he got two assists technically because it was his hooked ball over the top that Gabriel had, had an air shot at. But just the positions he takes up, uh, his, his desire to get on the ball, sometimes he drops so deep, United are playing a back three. Mm. But that confidence to take the ball from your own third and play it into the opponent's third and to just pop up in different areas, whether it's deep, whether it's high up, very, very impressive. Uh, I, We've, we've seen breakthroughs and inverted commas uh, if you like on for, for academy players on these tours before whether it was Greenwood in 2019 Zidane Bar last year uh, Andres Pereira had a couple of tours where he was very good but you, now it looks like they were full, they were four storms well they certainly were four storms in the case of Maine you, you don't get the impression this is a four storm you get the impression that this is a player who all being well will be in the United midfield for a number of years to come yeah definitely um, I mean it was interesting that, that midfield in terms of the battle between both teams was was five internationals and Kobe Mainu on, on Saturday and he did not look out of place at all you think he was up against no. Declan Rice Kai Havertz Martin Odegaard had you know Bruno Fernandes and Mason Mounds on his own team and he looked you know he looked of a level with them basically and did really well for the second after the first goal sorry when, when Tom Eaton got praised by the manager as well and you know, like saying that informal chat with Ten Hag after the game, we asked about Kobe Mainu and I think there's a sense that he doesn't want to get carried away and, and overburden mm, yeah, him. But exactly. he did talk about what a good test it, it was. And I think you said on the podcast we did last week that it would be good for him to play the half where Arsenal's best midfield plays. Yeah, and, where Rice was playing. Yeah, yeah exactly. and that's what happened. And I thought it was really good. <laughs> Quite interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's some interesting tactical stuff in, in these friendlies. And thought first off, especially the use of the fullbacks was. It's quite interesting. We saw him put them in midfield um, last year. The, this this first forty-five minutes, Shaw and Wambasaka were basically playing in possession as, as number eights or or um, even as high as strikers at, at some point. Yeah, yeah. Course, and, and yeah. really moving infield and into very very advanced positions, almost attacking with with six players. And Kobe Mainu was was kind of dropping back into a back three to to cover that. So some interesting stuff tactically with that, and the fact that Kobe Mainu can do that shows what you know what talent United think he is. I mean, I think there's a real argument there that. I know, you know we've done the line that McTominay is one of those players that could leave if they got an offer 
looking at players like Sofian Amrabat as a potential replacement. I mean, Maynou could could arguably step up next season. I think if McTominay went and and play that role, um, you know, he's 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 one who's not going out on loan. He is a first team player. And we we spoke to Tom Heaton as well after the game, and I thought there was some interesting stuff there. I've just got the the transcript out actually to look at it because he, he was quite interesting on Anana and how good he is with his feet. But when I was reading it back, something that took me was. So I think you asked him first off about the, the goal and, and when United scored that first goal it came from Heaton and um, Ten Hag kind of looked at him and, and clenched both fists yeah, and shouted Tom, Tom yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Heaton said in his answer that you know that was something Ten Hag wanted last year and I think he said he wants to take it on again this season which is almost you know doubling down on, on playing out in the back which makes sense with with Inanna um, and also interesting from Heaton about his own future I, I mean it, you know, there's a story online now about Inanna and, and what he's had to say but it Sounds very much like he, you know, he wants to. I think it's fair to say probably he wants to leave the club. Um, he said there was still a real desire to to play. Um, you know, he's, he's 37 now. United took the option on his contract, and it's. I think they took the option because basically there was there was no other option in in terms of a goalkeeper. Was there at that point? Um, the uncertainty meant they had to take his option. We know Luton have been interested in making him there their number one and, and the answer he gave for the questions towards the end suggested that there's a real hunger to play and even just playing against Arsenal in a friendly yeah. reinforce that desire and he's of an age where you know, keepers can go on a little longer but he's maybe got one or two years left and I think he wants to go and play and it's although they've got Anana as the number one there's still a lot of uncertainty in that goalkeeper group isn't he because Henderson's I think certainly going to go Heaton clearly wants to go and, and arguably United owe him that chance to, to go and play um, day has left I mean you're almost looking at three new goalkeepers this season it's um, it's still a strange position that group isn't it it is and it seems like every picture the club puts out of, of Dean Henderson he's smiling broadly yeah. and, and really happy and I, I, I don't know if I said this before on a podcast but there was a case at another club where this this young player was complaining about what toxic environment it was and how the senior professionals were quite you know quite nasty really and, and, and not particularly um, pleasant he was going out for training one day and one of them saw, spotted the club photographer, saw the player, went up to him, arm around his shoulder, big smiles, obviously the player smiles as well because you're on camera, pictures taken and then he clears off and it, it just portrays a false image and I don't think anybody can really seriously think that Dean Henson is, is going to be is, is happy with the situation. I mean I suppose at the moment he is still coming back from injury and he's still recovering uh, to an extent he is training but he's clearly not match fit I think by the time he does play again it, it will have been three months out which which is what was reported at the time that he um, that he had the thigh surgery back in back in early May and we still don't know if they're going to bring another goalkeeper in because there's there's we'll get on to it shortly of course there will be a striker coming mm. in but then there are a number of positions there squad role positions uh, competition positions if you like where there could be an addition and the, you look in that squad it could be a centre back it could be a goalkeeper at the start of the summer or certainly before the window opened there was a decent chance they were looking at a right back but then I think Wan-Bissaka's form the way that's gone would, it would have to be a really compelling case for, for something to transpire there and all the noises coming out from United that you know, Wan-Bissaka's going nowhere and at the moment he's, he's the first choice right back and he has been for a long time mm. uh, there's you know, Ten Hag wants another forward as well so that's that's four or five different positions um, midfielders of, of course four or five different positions where they could bring 
you know, not not padding, but a, a competitor for one of the the starters because you know, there are a lot of players there who could be sold. Um, that, that clear out has, I mean, it has started effectively. Tellers has gone. By by hook or by crook will go, but I mean he's it, such an irrelevant any irrelevance anyway because he's not on the tour, he's not in the plans. Uh, Henderson will probably go. Maguire has really got to just you know swallow his pride and accept that he's not he's not Man United standard and and go to a club that is is more his level. Um, with with McTominay, I think you know, I think Ten Hag he is one of those players that Ten Hag will generally be quite content with if he if he stayed because he is a squad player. Mm. Uh, but if they get thirty million offer, they have to accept it. Yeah. They have to sell him, and then you reinvest it in the replacement. Langer's going as well. I'm not sure if you, if, if Langa is even still out here yet. I've, I've not um, given the time zone difference and travelling. I've I've not bothered to check him whether he's he was at Pingree School yesterday. Uh, but that's that's practically done as well. So though I mean with Langer, there's not really a, a cause to bring in a replacement for him because he was so far on the periphery so far on the fringes he was only in the FA Cup final squad because of injuries to other forwards I think it's one start in the last eight months for him at, at Man United as well so it was pretty obvious why yeah, they, they were happy to let him mm. to let him go but with the goalkeeping situation I, I think it would be there'd be a bit too much I mean we've not even mentioned Mate Kovar but if Henderson, Kovar and Heaton all go that's quite a big turnaround yeah. and I suppose Ten Hag would be comfortable with that because he'd be recruiting at least two goalkeepers very much in his image um, who who, uh, you know, who are you know, very proactive uh, with the ball at their feet and, and underpinning attacks and whatnot. Uh, but you watch Heaton and I've, I've said this before, we've both said this before during competitive games and, and whatnot. Uh, I, I still think that given that he's got a year left in his contract, I think he's a, a worthy number two. Yeah. I don't see him as some Scott Carson uh, competition winner who blanks people in the mix zone and has done next <laughs> to nothing in his career. I mean, Heaton's actually had a good career uh, for, for what you know the playing time he's had, but I think he's you know he's worthy of that status. But the Ten Hag got thinks differently. He's, he told me last season he said the number two and number three he says I don't have a number two and a number three mm. I just have backup goalkeepers and I think that's um, it's a strange thought process and, and maybe he's he's shifted on that now but I think he's still very much working off that experience at Ajax in his last season when Anana was suspended for a large portion of it Stecklenburg got injured it was a long term injury as well at the start of the season and I can't remember the guy's name but he was like a 38 year old with a with a ponytail and you don't want a 38 year old with a ponytail in goal for the majority of your season but they did win the league so yeah. uh, and, uh, and and they, they were looking at signing Dean Henderson then as well so that's um, that, that's how strange things things go in football but I still think that's you know he, that's on his mind still and he did mention that when they brought Butland in on loan mm. last season yeah definitely uh, right that's all for, for part one of the Manchester podcast we'll be back uh, after this break to talk about those strikers Welcome back to the Manchester Is Red podcast. Uh, we discussed transfers briefly in the first part then um, and the, the potential number of incomings and, and how uncertain things are in, in certain positions. What we do know is they definitely want a striker and a striker is absolutely essential. Uh, you did the story last night, Samuel, um, UK time. Harry Kane and, and, and kind of Tottenham's position there of, of basically wanting to 
avoid losing him on free. I guess it's Mbappe-esque really with, with what PSG are doing as well in terms of they, they don't want to lose him on free. It's, it's sell or extend if possible. Um, I mean, what is the what is the situation there? Talk us through that that story, I guess, and, and, and what, what the situation is at the moment. Well, a few of us did it, and the, the information gathered it, it is first and foremost it's a Tottenham story uh, because it's Daniel Levy, the chairman, being issued an ultimatum by Joe Lewis, the owner, that you must sell Kane or you must tie him down on a new contract. And I think I said that in a podcast a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, whenever it was, that there would surely come a point where, given how often money talks in football, that Joe Lewis taps Daniel Levy on the shoulder and says, you have got to sell this guy mm. because there are tens of millions, the best part of a hundred million at stake here. And I, I don't think, you know, Levy has done this before with Christian Eriksen, where he chanced his arm and eventually they did get a fee, but it wasn't much of a fee when he went uh, to Inter Milan. But as good a player as Christian Eriksen is and was at that time, he is not Harry Kane. Um, and I think it was alluded to in that Tottenham documentary when they were discussing um, that kind of situation and, and the, the, valuate, the, the valuation of each other as well, which I thought, I, I didn't think footballers would even bother with that. It seems a bit, a bit too tedious for yeah, footballers yeah. To, to discuss such a topic. But Kane is almost certainly not going to sign a contract at Tottenham. Why would he? They've not won a trophy since 2008. Uh, he is, he's done everything in his power to try and improve them. He's the club's record scorer, etc., etc. Like he's he's got to be sold effectively in in the next five or six weeks before the transfer window closes on September the first. And Bayern Munich remain the only club to have bid for him because, as as we wrote earlier in the summer, United were discouraged from bidding for Kane because Tottenham were absolutely adamant that they would not sell him to a Premier League rival, fine. And United also did not want to get into playing games with Daniel Levy as well, because, you know, it's, it's, it's I mean, Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson said it himself, dealing with Levy was more painful than my hip replacement. <laughs> it's, it's just inadvisable, and if you've got alternative targets, which United have, you move on to them, which they have done with Rasmus Hoyland, who's the principal target still, and you've got Randall Kolo Moani um, as, as an alternative target. Ten Hag likes uh, Mohamed Kudus at, at, um, at Ajax. Uh, Victor Osman was in the conversation, but everyone has been put off because he's a more valuable striker than Kane. So, fair enough. There's always this slight opportunity, this slight chance that if it gets to a point where United have not got a striker and Tottenham at the end of the day their hand is forced leave his hand is forced and he has to sell why would United not be interested in a world class striker who is Premier League proven and he's the kind of striker as well that if you did sign him that he's not one of these players coming in who has to adapt to how we play uh, our patterns of play blah 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 because he's too good to do yeah. that he, he can do that in a heartbeat no problem so it is still I still do not expect necessarily Harry Kane to sign for United. I remember when the, another outlet did a report on how United were interested in Rice, Mount and, and Kane this summer. As I said at the time, they'll do well to get one of them, yeah. and they have got one of them. And I still think by the end of the summer, by the end of the summer, they'll have ended up of out of the three with with only um, Mount. But I say only Mount. I think it's good going just to have got Mount. Um, but but you come back to it. A lot of United fans will be thinking, 
if you're prepared to pay big money for a 20-year-old with a modest goal-scoring record in Italy and you've got one of the best strikers in the last 10 years who is still operating at an extremely high level and could cost you yeah, 30, 40 million pounds more, mm. why would you not be yeah. prioritising him? It's a legitimate question to ask. And although United have, you know, they, they're, not, they're not pushing uh, whatsoever a narrative with Kane, as I said, that story, it was a Tottenham story first and foremost, but United have to be still in the conversation on the slight off chance that Daniel Levy, um, you know, I don't know, someone uh, gives him a brain transplant and he, he's of the <laughs> mindset that it would be a good idea to, to sell Harry Kane to an English club. On the off chance that happens, they have to be in, in, in the conversation for it yeah. because any serious, any serious club would be. I mean, Real Madrid were looking at Kane earlier in the summer Things have changed there because of Mbappe, and I think if Real Madrid have the option, Mbappe or Kane, it's Mbappe all day long. So um, I, I, I still suspect he'll end up at, at Bayern Munich, and you know, if, if that's the case, that puts pressure not just on United to sign a striker, but it puts pressure on that striker coming in, because mm. if you're the guy who joins Man United in the same summer Harry Kane has actually left Tottenham, that's another burden to, to shoulder as well as leading the line at United. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Harry Kane is the greatest guarantee of goals in the yeah. Premier League you're going to get, whereas Rasmus Hoyland is a 20-year-old who's had three clubs in 18 months. He's clearly very talented, but you know, I don't think there's any guarantee that he comes in and, and even guarantees you 15 Premier League goals next year. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, yeah. he's understandably very raw. I mean, I guess Atlanta's sort of intransigence over, over Hoyland at the moment could help United. I mean, United, United are still absolutely adamant um, that they're not interested in Kane. That, I was going to say they don't want Kane. Obviously, they do want Kane. They're not, they're not interested because they don't think it's going to happen. But yeah. like you say, if there comes a point next week where Bayern Munich offer £80 million and, and Tottenham say, OK, surely United just offer 85 No, the, the, we're kind of speculating here, but I don't do you let Bayern would, Munich make the rally? I don't think they would do that necessarily. I think that if that was to happen... I think you are regressing 10 years back to what Edward was doing when they did actually outbid Real Madrid for, for Gareth Bale when he made a world record mm. move there. But, I mean, they couldn't see the wood for the trees because, I mean, even I, I knew six months before Bale made that move, he wanted to go to Real Madrid. Yeah. And everyone knew that he wanted to go, go yeah. to Real Madrid and he was going to go to Real Madrid, but that was Daniel Levy. He dragged out the most obvious transfer, big transfer ever, to the final day of the transfer window because he wanted to extract as much money from the deal as possible yeah. and he you know he led United down a garden path really uh, but United were so naive that they couldn't not David Moyes or Ed Woodward they couldn't actually accept that Bale wanted to go to Real Madrid which was so so naive it's, it's incredible really that that's the way they operated mm. because Moyes was an experienced manager as well at the time. You do your due diligence. Does the player want to join you? No, he wants to join Real Madrid. Okay, that's it. But Levy was encouraging them. It was like, bid, go for it. Yeah. You've got a chance here. Um, and then Real Madrid, after up there, is a little bit more and a bit more and a bit more, and he gets a world record fee out of it. And and you know, I, I suspect Madrid were trying to avoid that because they had the mother of all egos in the dressing room in Ronaldo, who was the world um, world's most expensive player at that time. And I remember Jonathan Barnett, Bale's agent, saying in an interview some years later how he used to rib George Mendes, Ronaldo's agent at the time, 
about the fact that he negotiated a world record mm. deal for Gareth Bale. So those things, they, they do matter. Um, I mean, the question would have to be asked of United, like if, if Tottenham are in, if they get to that realm of, of actually accepting yeah. a bid from Bayern Munich, are you going to act here? Because this is a player who has been of interest and is still of some sort of interest, like minor interest, we know that you've got your principal target and other options that you see as more attainable, but you have to make exceptions if you are a serious football yeah. club. Will you, you know, it's it's a test of nerve really, but I don't even see it as a test of nerve. It's like if, if they've got the funds, if, if you want to be you know, a competitive, and we've not even touched on it, Ten Hag's preferred, if he could have any striker in the world, it's Harry Kane. Well, this is it. Ten Hag wants Kane and Kane wants United. Yeah. If it came, if Harry Kane had an option of Bayern Munich or Man United, he'd, he'd take choose Man United. Man United. Yeah. I guess that's the yeah. the difference with Bale, isn't it? And if it ends up that Kane goes to Bayern Munich this summer, you've got to ask the question of why why were United not there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the only reason is that Levy is so desperate not to sell to a Premier League club, but money talks and, and at the end of the day it's, it's arguably not Levy's decision either we've said it's you know it's Joe Lewis's yeah, decision yeah, so exactly. I do think there's a situation there where if Kane signs for Bayern Munich you're kind of perplexed as to why why have United not not made that happen and, and got involved especially when your alternatives are, are gambles essentially I think Rasmus Hoyland is going to be a gamble if, if he is the one they um, they stick on. Yeah, there's a lot of context to, to it that hopefully mm. we've covered as much as possible there that has, has got overlooked by some people who are just too emotionally invested in, in these things, whether it's uh, you know, fans on Twitter or uh, certain staff members maybe. So, uh, you know, you, you try and cover all bases. We've reported it faithfully, accurately. So, um, you know, as, as I said, I, I, I still see Kane going to Bayern Munich, but... Yeah, that's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out if or when this striker comes in at United how he copes in the summer that yeah. Harry Kane has actually left Tottenham yeah definitely um, and, and talking to strikers we, we went to see um, Eric Ten Hag on, on Friday I think we did the last podcast in, in on Thursday in New York Friday we went to Pingree School in New Jersey amazing facilities yeah. um, amazing facilities yeah. there and, and really interesting actually to speak to some of the staff there as well there Great, um, great school facilities, and, and began hosting football clubs at uh, the World Cup in 1994 when they had Italy, who who went to reach the final. Um, we spoke to Eric Ten Hag. Um, his press conference, there was a lot of talk about strikers. Um, he, he wouldn't get dragged into talking about Harry Kane, but he obviously did say that they want a striker and they need a striker. Um, quite a lot of topics covered, actually. A quite illuminating press conference, and United let it run. I think everyone got their their question, and there was a lot of a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, I mean, one of the forwards he, he touched on at the end was, was Mason Greenwood, where basically said that he has, he has given his views on, on what he thinks should happen. He didn't tell us what they were, but you've done the story that he, he wants to keep him, really. Um, yeah, he doesn't I want think, to sell him. Yeah. yeah, I think the way he answered the question certainly suggested that he wants that. Um, but he did say it's a club decision, and, and we have to accept that that club decision. Um, I mean, it's a club decision that's taken a while to, to come to, but... Is, you know, it's going to be an interesting one, especially now Ten Hag has had his say, because I think we all get the impression that Ten Hag is, is the role of manager here and Ten Hag is, is very powerful at United, isn't it? Yeah, and when we were having some lunch yesterday, we were, we were discussing you know, Hoyland and he's younger than, than Greenwood and the, their strike conversion rate is somewhat similar. Greenwood's played in the Premier League and like, p- people who are desperate for Mason Greenwood to be back in the Man United team could make a case that well, why not just integrate him because you know, this is the way you're going but 
I, I don't. I still have you know severe doubts that Mason Greenwood will play for United again, even if they try to. The, the what they, I mean, the intention is to put him out on loan, but however long this cooling off period from when he last played, however long you could leave it, if it gets to the point where he's training with the Man United first team squad again and he's about to play for Manchester United, that is that that, that is going to be probably leading the the, the item on the news at yeah. Yeah. Uh in in the UK. That that's a, a national story. There would be worldwide interest in it, and w- w- there's no point getting into. Um, what the reaction could be about over it because that would be hypothetical but essentially the intention is for him to go out on loan but where that will be Atalanta has shown some interest because he's come up in conversation during the the, the Hoyland discussions Uh, but it's it's still pretty staggering that we've got to this point and United have not made a decision on him and I, th- I think loaning him is a bit of a cop-out. Uh, I can see the issues in getting rid of him. Obviously, there are legal issues there. Uh, I can see also, the, I mean, more severely, the issues of reintegrating him back into the squad, arguably. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot of... They've clearly weighed up a lot of things and you know, it's, it's been discussed. And But I, I still am pretty staggered that here we are in... Yeah. In late July, and there's not been a, a clear-cut decision made there because I think it's in the best interests of all parties to do one thing or another. But United, it seems, are trying to do something in the middle of it by allowing him to to go out on loan, and then it just you kick the can down the road. And even it's, it's minor comparison, but with Dean Henderson, that's been they've been kicking that can down the road for years and years as well. Yeah. Um, and an iron over whether he's going to be a Man United number one goalkeeper. Now it seems like he's not going to be. In, he he will probably be sold. That's just another example of it. But it, as as you said, I think his his answer was, you know, it, it wasn't exactly cryptic. I think it alluded to his his outlook on it, which is that he doesn't want to sell him. And the compromise is okay. We loan him, so I can see why that's the case. Mm. But at another football club, I think the the football director or the technical director. They are pulling rank there and saying, "No, this is this is what we're doing." Yeah. Uh, but it is a unique, it is a unique situation for, for for reasons that everybody is is obviously aware of. Yeah, I guess the difficulty with a loan is is how you phrase it because they have, you know, they have said there is this internal investigation, this internal review to find out what's happened. And once you've once you've started that, and they had to do that, I guess you, yeah. you need a definitive outcome, don't you? And a loan is, like, say, is kind of in the middle. So I guess it's how you how you phrase that as, as which way they come down it's you know it's it feels like at the end of an internal investigation is fairly black or white isn't it whereas yeah. alone is is probably a, a shade of grey um, <coughs> excuse me I mean the other the other fairly newsy thing that Ten Hag mentioned was that he planned to, to speak informally to, to the Glazers while he was over here um, thing that happened in New York it's a question about the takeover I thought it was quite interesting the way he answered it and I've kind of done a piece um, that some people may have read this morning about it feels like his tone is very much changing with takeover stuff. I think in the first, you know, it was announced in November, he got asked a few times early in the second half of the season and, and just kind of just didn't get involved, did he? Mm. It was very much club decision, nothing I can do, yeah. nothing I can say. Whereas now on Friday, he's saying, you know, it's obvious I can give my opinion and give my views. And, you know, I mean, I'm not sure it is obvious that the manager would give his opinion on a takeover. And they wouldn't I mean, care as well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I didn't think that was obvious. I thought it was quite interesting that he was saying, I will give them my 
my views. When yeah. in reality, it's a private transaction between the Glazers and, and whoever they decide to sell to. Um, we didn't know at that point that he'd actually already spoken to Avram Glazer, who'd been at training a couple of times, yeah. um, was at the game, no sign of Joel. We did also, I mean, you did a story um, sort of sourced while we were in New York, quite interested in United being there really, when, when obviously they're on the New York Stock Exchange, yeah. it's, it's the financial yeah. hub of the world, arguably rain are based there. Um, it, it's all covered in, in the story, I'm sure readers can, and listeners can go and find it if they want to, but you know, I guess the gist of it is that we're eight months in and, and still no one has the slightest idea what is going on. We're sitting through that rain, rain almost feel like they've been told to sell something that's not actually uh, on the market. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it went to market with a split between the siblings. We've written that a lot now between the, the two, Joel and Avram, who, who quite enjoy owning United and want to stay, and the other four who want to cash in their chips and, and get the hell out of Dodge, I guess. Um, but, you know, it's, it's absolutely staggering that this is that this is still going on, that rain don't know what's happening, that the buyers don't know what's happening. Um, you know, I know we've talked about the takeover a lot, but now we've now we've moved on from New York. I guess it will calm in America, but the situation is essentially a shambles, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, pe- people we, we've spoken to uh, who, who are you know, involved in the, the financial world, they they're of the opinion that a, a strategic review should be concluded within sixty to ninety mm. days. And here we are. It's it's gone eight months since the announcement, and I, I don't think anybody of us and, and sorry, I don't think any of us were expecting it to be concluded as swiftly as that but we certainly expected it to be done well by yeah. by this point and th- it always comes back to the issue that I, I wrote a while ago the two main brothers Avram and Joel whose names are in the program uh, for home games the co-chairman they don't want to sell Man United and ideally I think from for them they would get you know some investors coming in that that would probably be uh, their preference uh, I mean it was interesting the way it's descri- described to us by someone they said that um, that they they view United as like art at, at Freeport which is where you know these beautiful works of art are kept <coughs> yeah. and it's a bit it's a tax you're not paying tax on it and they just you know they they want it for the the money not the beauty of it and it was quite a good analogy um, and the, the fact that Rain are actually, you know, t- talking to people and you know, saying that we, we feel like we've been sold a, a sold a pup here, really, mm. in in a way. But for them, nobody had heard of the Rain Group before. I mean, p- people maybe writing Chelsea stories yeah. would have, but you you type Rain Group into Google now, and it comes up Manchester United. Yeah. So Manchester United put the Rain Group on the map. They. As, as negative as it may seem for them it's also probably win-win because there's a good chance that when the next major European club uh, want to have a strategic review Rain will be tasked with, um, with with overseeing it or maybe they won't be given the outcome that there could be from from the United one um, but I mean Avram Glazer actually it was probably the closest any of us have ever been to him he walked mm. past us in the, the, the mix zone the other the other night and Laurie well caught up with him just asked him and he said I'm, I'm here to enjoy the game and then security s- stepped in um, I, mean, he, I don't know which other games he'll be at but he seems to be the most prominent one now I mean, mm. for all we're told that old Joel is involved in the day to day running and uh, he gives his input and blah 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 he's not been at a game friendly or competitive since April 2019 and he, he's very much in the background now if, if a Glazer sibling is getting doorstepped by 
uh, it was Sky News journalist at Davros or in Florida where they live, it's, it's Avram Blazer. Yeah. They, they can't seem to actually get to Joel Blazer um, anymore. I think the only sightings of him have been uh, at Tampa Bay Buccaneers games. He seems to be, although he's, you know, he's, he's apparently prom- prominently involved with the day-to-day running of United, um, it's it's the Tampa Bay Bucks where you see him. Mm. So uh, it's... I think the, the the piece we did this week the, with the information that we gathered and collated and and then knocked into shape it, it you know it was it was something different from uh, what's you know, I, I, as I've said a number of times less is more with this takeover story because so much of it has been it's been nonsense I think a lot of it um, and it, there's been a lot of peddling um, agendas there <clears throat> I suppose the only other. <clears throat> Excuse me. The only other uh, interesting aspect that we wrote about was how Joel and Avram took a very dim view, to say the least, of Sir Jim Ratcliffe um, trying to, excuse me, trying to buy out the other siblings mm. to gain control, and that might account for why Sir Jim Ratcliffe, when he speaks about Joel and Avram Glazer in public, he's extremely polite about mm. them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's almost too polite, really, the way he. Uh, He's, he's almost gushing about them and, and when he's spoken with them. But he did actually say, I think, the last time, like, you know, speaking with six siblings, you can't do it. And that's always been the issue, I think, from the outset. You, you've got six individuals there. They're all going to want something something different, uh, the chances are. And that's the case. Uh, I mean, th- there, was, there was rancor there going to market in November and they still can't find common ground more than eight months on. So, I mean... It wouldn't surprise me if eight months on from this, it's still there's still no resolution there. Yeah. Um, but it's it's been suggested that the New York Stock Exchange could could intervene and say, look, you've got to make a decision because it's not it's not good for the New York Stock Exchange no. for tra- for shares to be fluctuating uh, based on rumor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, that's all for part two. We'll be back uh, for part three shortly to talk about the two fixtures this week. <coughs> Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, the uh, the road trip has moved on to San Diego, as I mentioned before. United two more fixtures this week. Uh, quite an unusual setup. A game here on Tuesday at the Snapdragon Stadium against Wrexham, of all teams, uh, and then a game on Wednesday in Houston against Real Madrid. Uh, quite different opposition there in successive nights. It is a a youth team and Johnny Evans basically. I think that is that is playing against Wrexham. It's it's a little bit unclear, I think, really, still on, on who exactly is going to be in that team and who's going to be managing it. I, think. I don't think we even know who's going to be managing it at the moment, do we? No, um, it looks like the um, it looks like the young players are out here already mm. as well, and they've um, they've been in California for a few days. But it, we, we've got a press conference to attend in what how many hours? Six, seven mm. hours, uh, which is previewing the Wrexham game and the Real Madrid game. So I would imagine they'll clarify it there. Yeah, and the, the Wrexham game first. I mean, it's. Like I say, it's difficult to really know who's going to be involved. Um, I guess that theoretically there could be some fringe players. Um, you know, there was a few players who, who didn't even get on on um, Saturday, wasn't it? I think Donny Dan, van der Beek, Dan Gore. Dan Dan Gore yeah. um, so a few players didn't get on. You're at the stage now where certainly those players who've been back since day one of pre-season, Mason Mount, Wambasaka, Varane, Martinez, are at a point where they could probably play 60 minutes and, and are probably due to start playing mm. 60 minutes. Yeah. So. I guess theoretically you could slightly mix the teams up, but in terms of the Wrexham game, a difficult one to know who's going to be involved. And a, 
you know a strange a strange game in general I think um, there's there's going to be a lot of interest in, in Wrexham I think they played LA Galaxy's reserves the other day and there's barely anyone there but you know the fact Wrexham are, are over here it's um, it's quite an, an unusual one isn't it yeah yeah I mean uh, Simon Peach was on their flight coming out here and um, you know, he, he said I think that uh, on, on the flight they were in cattle class and but then when they got off the plane, they were like rock stars. And he said that one um, one fan told the backup goalkeeper, you're the reason why someone yeah, wants to be a yeah. goalkeeper, which is quite a, quite a charming yeah. story. So I think the game's a sellout, uh, which you'd expect it to be. I don't think it's a particularly big stadium. No. Uh, you've got that cachet of United's name, even though you're not going to have the, the players to go with it. And Wrexham is a it is a story. It's you know it's, it's the story that's going to run and run as well because I don't think anybody sees them getting relegated next season. Unfortunately, as, as hilarious <laughs> as hilarious as that might be, uh, and and you I suspect Ryan Reynolds will be there. Maybe Rob McElhenney. Uh, I, I think I've managed to remember his name now. He used to just be the other <laughs> guy, one. but we we do him a disservice. He's he's you know he's. he's He's a very successful um, man in his in his industry, and uh, Julia Roberts was at the United Arsenal game. Oh, yeah. So we, we'll have to see if there are any other um, Hollywood A-listers who, who come up for that game. I think that might be that might make it more more interesting if if there are any uh, actors or, or actresses that are of um, of interest to us uh, rather than just watching a game of football of, it, yeah. uh, consistent of academy players. So. Yeah, I think there are some of us on our, on our trip out here in terms of those those players playing. They they will not know them from Adam. They will never have heard of them either. So that that, that I suppose that puts us slightly an advantage. I, I won't have to be checking the team sheet all the time, wondering who the hell is uh, Willie Kamwala or who, <laughs> who the hell is Will Fish. Although Will Fish did did you know he, he did go viral for all the wrong reasons on tour last yes. year when he was sent off, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I mean we at the MEN we obviously do a. Do phenomenal coverage of the, the academy, arguably better than the club's official website. So we w- we would always be doing this game. I think it's fair to say that you know some nationals would, if this game, if United were playing Real Madrid in San Diego and Wrexham in Houston, I think some people wouldn't <laughs> yeah. wouldn't feel the need to, to make the trip. And it is, you know, we're going to Houston for twenty hours. It is quite a, a draining experience. Um, and it's another time zone. And it's another well. time zone, another yeah. two hours. So it is going to be a very um, hectic and, and busy couple of days. But the Real Madrid game is is. You know, I guess it's the, the A-lister of the tour. It's it's the big game. Um, we we went out for something to eat last night and then had a had a drink afterwards in a in a local bar here, a very quiet area of San Diego. When we were actually watching Real Madrid, AC Milan last night, um, an entertaining pre-season friendly. I think Real won three two in the end of him in two 0 down. Yeah, two 0 down at half time. Yeah. Um, a, a very good squad out, um, and and that's going to be a real fascinating game to see where where both teams are at. Real certainly looked to be taking that game very seriously last night. They looked to be quite far along in terms of mm. pre-season. I think they played, their, their players were playing more, I think it was more than a split half for sure. Um, and, and the other factor is Jude Bellingham. I think he, he played right about an hour last night maybe. Um, and, and there's going to be a lot to sort of take away from that game, isn't it? It's going to be fascinating to see. A to C, Bellingham, obviously United have, have had an interest in him yeah. in the past. And just for United to compare themselves against Real at, at this stage of pre-season. Yeah, uh, I mean Madrid's players, the the, the calibre it, it speaks for itself. I mean, Vinicius looked very good again last night. I mean he, he's such a good player that mm. amid their yeah, obsession with Mbappe, you 
okay, fair enough, sign Mbappe because he's, he's world class, but but don't do it at Vinicius' expense because I think he's such a, a tremendous player. And his, his first tour with Madrid was out here in the States and he played against United. I remember seeing him in Miami for the first time thinking he, he looks a really good player and he's he's gone from strength to strength and already he's had a, a great career. Um, it, it'll, I, I suppose in terms of these games and what Ten Hag does with them, does there come a point when he starts to play Casemiro with Mount or does he really want to give Kobe Mainu, you know, he's kudos really because he's deserved to continue to continue starting games and, and keep his place but is is he seriously looking at him as a, as a starter against Wolves? I mean it's, it feels like a, somewhat of a stretch at the moment but maybe in a couple of games down the road maybe it won't be a stretch and there comes a point and it's happened before players who come back to pre-season later than others that that playing catch up it, it can cost them when it comes into the um, yeah. the start of the season and I remember six years ago Mourinho I, I asked him the question about it as well because he seemed to be obsessively playing Smalling and Lindelof um, as one centre-half pairing and, and Phil Jones and Eric Bailly Phil Jones and Eric Bailly were the starting ones and Lindelof and Smalling were playing other parts of, of games, whether it was a half or 30 minutes, and he was just playing them religiously in those two pairings. And he said, you'll find out soon, you know, you, you'll find out soon enough. And it was because Jones was going to be suspended for, I think, the the Super Cup, because he, he had a go at, at, at someone who wanted to take a doping test from him after the Europa League final. So the Super Cup, he played Smalling and Lindelof, Come the first game of the season, it was by in Jones and Lindelof, the new signing, was not even in the squad. So that's how seriously, to an extent, managers can take pre-season when they've got every player available, um, because you are building up a rapport uh, between players who not have. I mean, Jones and Bayer would not have played a lot of football with each other the previous season, uh, because <laughs> I'm Christ, I mean, is, is there are more. Brittle pairing than Phil Jones and Eric Bailly. Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable that they actually played together at all. But that's 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 just an indicator of, of of how much these games can be valued by managers. Even though we watch them and we think, okay, he did well, but he's got to do it in August and when the competitive action starts. Mm. Um, I mean, Ten Hag played a very strong side against Arsenal. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what the rationale was behind. Not, not starting Rashford and, and starting Garnacho, but I suppose Rashford played through the middle and again that's something that Ten Hag is probably looking at and thinking I need to give him some minutes up top there at the moment whilst we've we've not got a striker because I don't think across I mean that I think United have when's, when's the when's the Borussia Dortmund game is that on Sunday? Uh, Sunday yeah so uh, they actually this time next week they'll they'll be home mm. and I don't think any of us is expecting Anthony Marshall to play in any game this week because United, there was a point last season when he came back from injury and he had four weeks, he was fit for four weeks and he'd been in team training but he wasn't getting picked in games because they didn't want to rush him back. Mm. So I can't really see Ten Hag bringing him back into either the Madrid game or the Dortmund game in Las Vegas. So you are working with players who are not strikers really and you need them to just not adapt as such but re-familiarise themselves with, with that role because Rashford is we all know it's better on the left we all know Sancho is better as a winger and 
it's, it's not a, it's not a great position to be in in that sense, but that's that, that's where they are, and I certainly don't really see them signing a striker who will be coming out here either. Even if they do sign a striker this week, I think it would be a stretch for them to you know, say, yeah, come out come here, out for, here yeah. um, for just 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 to watch effectively. Yeah. I mean, they signed two players while we were on tour last year, and neither of them uh, came out to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Ericsson and Martinez both signed yeah. and, and didn't come, didn't they? And obviously that's. It's going to take a longer journey. Um, obviously, you can't fly direct to Australia really from Manchester, but you could make the point, I guess, that they, they could come here. But like you say, I think the signing would need to be done by tomorrow, basically, to, yeah. to have any chance. And I think that's pretty clear. That's that's not going to be the case. Um, right, that's all for this episode of the Manchester Is Red podcast. Uh, I believe there will be someone doing a podcast maybe on Wednesday um, between the, the two games, between the Wrexham game and, and the Real Madrid game that night. Myself and Samuel will be back with you probably on Friday, I think. Uh, like I say, a busy week this week, flying to Houston Wednesday, game Wednesday night, flying back from Houston Thursday. So I imagine we'll reconvene back in San Diego on Friday. to um, We'll look back at both of those fixtures, try and provide a bit more insight from, uh, from what's been going on stateside, and then look ahead to the final game of the tour, which will be Borussia Dortmund. But for now, that's everything. Thanks for tuning in.